Thank you for joining us today on the Reach Community Church Podcast. We hope this week's message encourages and blesses you as we dive into God's Word together. Our mission at Reach is to see lives changed by Christ together in community by loving God, loving people, and reaching our world. We'd love to have you join us next Sunday. You can learn more about our mission at reachcommunitychurch.com. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Heath. I'm the lead pastor here at Reach, getting close to senior, but still lead for now. Um, I'm excited that you're here this morning. Today, uh, we're going to talk about a word that if you're from the South, you've probably heard a lot. Uh, and it's, it's this combo of two words called born again. Um, so a lot of people, I think, misuse that word. A lot of people um, kind of identify uh, in it that probably aren't really. And so we're going to talk about where that word came from and the original conversation that it was seen in. Uh, but just you being in this room gives me some idea that you have even a little bit of interest in the idea of being born again. Uh, so there's a lot of understanding, a lot at stake in understanding the concept. Uh, and sad that it's become confusing and misunderstood uh, over the years. I got some data for you. Um, according to the 2020 Pew Research Center, um, 64% of the U.S. population considers themselves born again or Christian. In 2014, so six years before this, that number was 70.6. If that's shocking, in 1962, that number was 93%. And so uh, even at 64%, you would think our world, our country would be a lot better place. With these numbers, you would think our world would be uh, better and kinder, uh, a loving place, since Jesus said that you would know who are my disciples by how they love. So I think the term born again has lost its meaning. Instead, it has become a blanket term of every person who identifies with the Christian church. Our tension this morning is, do we get it? Do we understand it? Are, are, are we just identifying with a um, maybe even something we grew up in? We're identifying as like, oh man, this is kind of my, my background. This is who I was. Or are we identifying with a Savior that we're leaning into and putting our trust in? See, our friend Nicodemus, which is where we're going to be at in um, John 3 here in just a second, he didn't get it. He didn't understand it. He was confused by it. And he was the cream of the crop. Like he was a ruler in the religious party of the Jews when Jesus came on the scene. He was not just like one of the ones following Jesus around trying to find out things that he's doing wrong and report back to the leaders. He was one of the leaders. See, Jesus didn't want us to be confused. He wanted us to have life. Jesus puts it this way, or uh, John puts it this way in 1 John 5, 13. It says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. 
See, our goal isn't butts in a seat. We're, we're happy that you're here, um, but our goal is that you would meet the Savior, that you would know Him, that your life would be changed by Him so that our country and our county and our state would be also changed, that your neighborhood would know the Gospel through your life and the way you live and the way you talk. And Just so I, I don't confuse this, with a statement, because I think sometimes we've also confused what it means to love people. Loving people doesn't mean that we um, say everything is good. Loving people doesn't say you do whatever you want to do and it's okay. That's not love, because some of those things are hurting them. Some of them things are literally destroying their life. So what does it look like? I'm going to give you a few verses before we get into the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus. The first one is in John 1, verses 12 through 13. It says, But to all who did receive Him, speaking of Jesus, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born, listen to this, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's what we're talking about. This born again isn't something we just identify with. It's something God does in us. Ezekiel 36, verse 25 through 27. Listen to this from the Old Testament. Talking about the day of Jesus. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from your uncleanliness. And from all, the, all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rule. Let me, let me just tell you, I think sometimes we um, in the Christian world say, do better. Behave. Don't do this. Do this. When the reality is, is what God is telling us to do is to lean into Him and He will change us. Look, behavior modification never changes anyone in the long term. It may fix you in the moment. You may, for a season, do the right thing. And I'm telling you what, not to, I love behavior modification just in me. I'm always doing something. And y'all, y'all probably know my neurosis when it comes to like some eating plan or some like workout regimen. I'm in, in the, in the middle of another round of 75 heart. I love checking boxes and I, during the box checking phase, I do really good. But you know what happens after? Because, you know, like what happened after the last time I did 75 hour, which I completed it and great. I mean, like I felt good. It was the best like 100 days of my life. And not because I failed, because I did another round of it afterwards of 30 days after that. I felt good. You know what happened afterwards? I went right back to my old patterns, doing my old things. Eating. Oh, I love sugar. I love Sugar, I love carbs. I'm not eating any carbs right now, and I miss them. I miss them bad, and I want them. And the problem is, is in this system, this is what we try to do in our Christian life, is we know that we shouldn't have sugar and carbs. And I'm not, you know, whatever, just go with, go with the illustration. Go with the illustration. We, we, shouldn't, we know we shouldn't eat those things. We know they're not good for us, but still we're like, 
When our, in our willpower we try to not do the things that then we end up doing. So we have to change what's going on inside of us so that we can change what's going on outside of us. Like my heart towards sugar and carbs isn't necessarily sin, but my heart towards things that are ultimately hurting me, it's the same thing. Like we have to get to this place that, God, I need your help. Like if you want to live a whole and pure life, it will not be in your white knuckled living, meaning holding on to it. And I'm not going to. It's a release and a surrender to a God that removes that heart of stone. It's what we're going to talk about today. And he he gives you a heart of flesh so that you can. And then not only does he do that, but then he gives you the helper, the Holy Spirit to live in you. To help you walk in that way. Listen to this in first Peter chapter one, verse three through five says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. Listen to this. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He caused us. Like there's a part that we play in this, but it is His work. It is not something that we can take from Him, like I'm going to take that salvation from Jesus. It's something that He has to begin in us. Verse 4, it says, To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power, by being, a, by being guarded through the faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So we pick up this, and this conversation that we're going to go over today is only in the book of John. And Nicodemus is mentioned three times in the book of John. We're going to talk about his first encounter with Jesus. There's two other times that he's brought up in the gospel of John. But right before this, there's not Jesus has come on the scene. Um, John starts with talking about who God is. John wants you to understand that Jesus isn't just a good man doing a good work on the earth. That Jesus is the word turned into flesh. Jesus was God. And so you see this come onto the scene. You see Jesus' first miracle. He has his first, maybe first time. I, I love this. I know it wasn't disrespectful because Jesus, you know, it would have been a sin if it was. But uh, Mary, his mom was like, hey, they're at a wedding. We've run out of wine. Can you fix that? And Jesus is like, woman, it's not my time yet. And you know what she does? She didn't even listen to him. She's like, she just turns to the servants and says, do whatever he says. Man, and we're talking about next week is Mother's Day. Uh, let, me, let me just tell you, when mom says, just do it, just do it. You better be thinking next week. If, if you're just like, oh, next week is Mother's Day. Come on. And dads, let me just tell you, don't bank on your children coming through on the end. I mean, they may, but like, you better put some work into it. Okay. So right after that miracle, Jesus goes in to the temple and throws tables around because they're, they're, they're turning the house of God into a place of commerce. 
And really, if you get into that, which I don't have time today, they've set this commerce up in the place where the Gentiles were allowed to come in and worship. And they had occupying the space that they could come in and worship God with selling things to make it more convenient for the sacrifice of God's people. And he didn't like that. He turned over these tables and people are like, what in the world is going on? And then it makes this little, it's like three sentences right before where we're going to get is he goes into Jerusalem after he does this and, and many people believe in him because of the miracles that he does. And this leads us into verse 1 of chapter 3. So Nicodemus, like I said, is a ruler of God's people. He has witnessed enough that he wants to go to Jesus to have a conversation with him. So now in um, verse 1, you know what? Um, I even have it written on my paper. I haven't prayed yet. Usually I pray before I get into the words. Let me pray. Uh, Father, Lord, we just lift up this time in your word. Lord, I pray that your word would speak to our heart more than my words. Lord, we don't want to be changed by our desire just to be better people. We want to have an encounter with the living God. And so would you allow your words to speak to our hearts, open our eyes, soften our hearts. And help us be people that understand the honor it is to be invited into your kingdom. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So verse 1. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. See, seeing signs and wonders and being amazed by them and giving the miracle worker credit for them is not the same as saying he is God. So what Nicodemus is trying to figure out is who is Jesus? They know he is from God, but what does that mean? Is he, is he the next prophet on the scene to, to direct the people of Israel? Who is he? And notice this, that he comes at night. So I don't know about you guys, but like most of the time, I don't like people knocking on my door after dark unless they're planning to, unless I know that they're coming there. It's always unusual. So Nicodemus was coming at night because he didn't want to be seen. He was very leery, and you see this all throughout the Gospels where the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, some of them believed Jesus. Some of them were interested in Jesus, but they were afraid of expressing that because they didn't want to lose their position, their placement of leadership. So he was sneaking in under the shade of dark to have this conversation, and he acknowledges him as rabbi, which is teacher. He acknowledges that he is from God. I love Jesus, and this is, this is the good part of what the Holy Spirit does. Jesus answers the questions that you have, but you're not asking. Look at this in verse 3. It says, And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Right now it says see, later it talks about enter, but we'll, we'll, we'll talk about those things. See, Nicodemus is there trying to figure out who this guy is. 
He didn't ask the question about, hey, I've been hearing about this new birth and I want to know about it from Jesus. Jesus tells him the thing that is resting in his heart. He knows that something's missing, something's wrong. And he goes to him and Jesus says, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. This is a teacher of the law. This is a man of God that has spent all of his life separating himself, being holy and pure and righteous so that he can enter into the presence of God and be a part of God's family. And God's telling him, you have to be born again. What you've done isn't enough. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is the reality of the gospel. Jesus doesn't want to build off the foundation of who you were. He wants to create in you something new. He wants to change this. And this was, uh, I don't know about you, but like, one of the ways that you can do uh, when you're reading through text is like when questions come up, write those questions down. Like, well, you know, what was, was rebirth, born again, was that even a concept that was known? And so the only thing that I could find on this is that rebirth for Gentile converts to Judaism would be a concept that they would understand. But by no stretch of the imagination would the people of God, the sons of Abraham, think they have to be born again to enter into the kingdom. They had their, their plan. They had their path. And as long as they walked their path, they would enter in. <laughs> I love Nicodemus. Right here, verse 4, it says, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Just, just, think, just, just think about that for a second. So here's Jesus having a conversation with the religious leader, the ones that know the things about God. And he's saying, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, I don't even know what that means. So much so that I'm going to say something ridiculous, which is, am I supposed to climb? Happy Mother's Day. Am I supposed to climb back into my mother's womb to be born again? He was like, I don't know if he's saying I'll do whatever it takes. But I mean, like, I don't, that's not where Jesus is asking him to do. So Nicodemus, a ruler of the people, was clueless to this truth so much so that he made an absurd statement. He wasn't really saying that's what we need to do. He's just throwing out this ridiculous thing to Jesus like, oh, is this, is this what I'm supposed to do? Is this how it's supposed to play out? Verse 5, And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel at I said to you, you must be born again. See, in Greek, the text of this verse, the first you is singular, and the second is plural. And the implication is that Jesus is speaking about God's kingdom in reference to all people, not just Nicodemus. This conversation, the reason why it's recorded, the reason why we're reading it now isn't just because this is an interaction that he had with Nicodemus. It's because God had something he wants to say to us in this. 
See, the kingdom of God is the same thing as equal to eternal life. Listen to this in Romans 5. It says, For those who live according to the flesh... Sorry, 8.5. Um, for, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. It's what happens in our rebirth. We change the way we think. If we don't change the way we think, we won't change the way we react. See, a lot of marriages in this room, you're like, if I can just re respond better. And I say this all the time. I say all the time, oh, like I just got to get that under control, that first moment where those things come out of my mouth. I'm a verbalizer. I don't know if y'all know what that means, but I, I let words come out of my mouth sometimes before I even think about them, which is not good as a husband. My wife is an internalizer. She's thinking about everything internally. I don't know what's going on because I'm not a mind reader. So I just let all these words come out of my mouth. See, I would love to learn how to control what comes out of my mouth because almost always... It would change the way we act if we change the way we're responding because we have to change the way we're thinking. We have to change this fleshly response. And some of our best training grounds for to see how well God is doing, living, um, conquering your heart is just drive around Wilmington. Just get behind the wheel. Unless you're one of those people that don't care and you don't care what time you get there and you're like always super early and you're just like, I'm going to go three miles under the speed limit. See, you people are put there to test everybody else. Because everybody else gets behind you and they're like, yes, I love Jesus, but I'm going crazy. See, we should be looking at these things and inviting God into our life in these moments. Inviting God into these moments that we're interacting with our children, interacting with our wife. It is not us living for us. It is us living for God. Because we have to surrender those things. Because if we don't surrender our thoughts, we won't surrender our words, and we won't surrender our actions. Verse 8 says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. We, we don't know where these things are coming from you go outside and see the wind blowing you remember like it's coming from this direction but you don't know where it originated you don't know where that came from it is the same with those who are called according to god because we set our spirit according to the father move us change us see the greek word here panea i'm always interested in I don't know why I ever pronounce things. I should say the Greek word there and just leave it blank. Uh, can mean wind, breath, or spirit. John uses the metaphor of the wind as a power that is felt but unseen to explain the power of the Spirit of God. Like, I would love to have a little booth that you get after you become born again that you can go into and have direct one-on-one -on -one conversation where you're on the screen and be like, hey, um, Holy Spirit, like, I'm thinking that I should say this to my wife later. And the Holy Spirit would be like, no. That's stupid. I would love to have... We don't have that, so we have to learn 
to surrender and hear that voice. And let me just tell you something. What that really means is we have to cut all these other voices out. I don't like silence. I almost always have something playing in the background. But at some point, we have to let silence be there so we can listen. Verse 9. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, and I think this is kind of, Jesus wasn't snotty, but it's kind of a cutting statement. Are, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? He's getting ready to continue on this. Even he didn't see who Jesus was. They had been waiting for the Messiah. They had been studying. They knew where he was going to be born. They knew all the prophetic things. They saw it, but they wanted a different Jesus. They didn't want a Jesus that came in and messed with their religion. Because every one of us, including the Jews, have created pockets of stuff that God didn't intend. That took it far, far further than God intended. And we see this all throughout the Old Testament. Uh, sorry, all throughout the New Testament when they're challenging him on the laws and the rules. And God is saying, you know, talking about Sabbath. You know, Sabbath wasn't created just for us to follow. Sabbath was created for us. And so they were mad at him over and over again. Wanted to kill him because he healed somebody. Healed someone. The power of God moved on the Sabbath and they were ready to murder Jesus. See, he was completely missing it. Verse 11. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. See, the we most likely is Jesus, and the, the we is most likely all the prophets have been speaking about this point. You've heard of these things, the natural things, and you're seeing them happen, and you're still not believing. Verse 12 it says, If I have told you earthly things, if I have told you earthly things, and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? He was saying, you don't even get the things that you're seeing. How are you going to understand the deeper things than that? See, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of God. Now, this is a term that you have to understand. When you see Son of God written, that is another term for the Messiah. So he is, all the times where people are like, oh, in apologetics, which I highly encourage people, there's some great podcasts, you should, you should be listening to things. Because most of the time, people's arguments, oh God, Jesus never says he's God. <laughs> and all, over and over and over and over and over again, he says, like this, the Son of God. He makes statement about himself, but we have to understand culturally what's going on, or we'll be like, well, he just says Son of Man, what does that mean? He's saying, hey, I am God. This, I am the Messiah. See, Jesus didn't want to confuse who he was with this man. Verse 14. Oh, this is, this is good right here. 
Verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man, the Messiah, be lifted up so that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Oh, man, there's so much imagery. So much imagery. And I love it when, you know, we're like, where, where is God? You know, where's Jesus in the Old Testament? Jesus, over and over again through the Gospels, will point to Himself. Typology. Point to things that were pointing to Him from the Old Testament, this being one of them. And if you're unaware of what this is, you're like, bronze serpent, what's going on? Let me, let, me just, let me just lay it out. So God rescues the people from Egypt, is taking them um, to the promised land, which was a long journey. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. And during this, they, they, get, they get sassy. They're like, we should go back. It was better. <laughs> Slavery was better than freedom. It's funny how our brain will tell us, man, it was better. We had we had. We had all the onions and food that we wanted to eat there, and, and God's kind of destroying us. And, 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 and several times on their road trip, they got sassy, and, and God uh, one time opened up the ground and swallowed people. One time, He unleashed snakes. And those snakes bit people, and when you got bit by these snakes, you died. I'm not lying. Fine, you should read the whole story. It's crazy. And so people are dying. People are like, Moses, like, help us. We have wronged the Lord. Tell us what to do. And God tells Moses to make a bronze serpent, a serpent out of bronze, and set it up on a boat, pole in the middle of the people of God. And if you got bit by a snake, all you had to do was to look at this bronze serpent and you would be healed. I'm telling you what, if I was them, I'd just be like, where's that? You ever played like a game and you're like, where's the base? You got to keep your eye on the base. I'd be like, everywhere I went around camp, I'd be like, yep, there's the bronze serpent. I'm ready. If I get bit by this snake, I'm ready. I'm going to look at it. I'm going to see it. And uh, the bronze serpent, uh, I believe, it's partially talking about our sin, not the bronze serpent, the serpents. See, the deadly and destructive nature of sin, it bites us and it poisons us. And we're literally dying because of it. And Jesus is making reference to what isn't happened yet. It hasn't happened yet. He hasn't. But he's telling them, hey, there's going to be a point that you're going to look to me for salvation. You're going to look to me and that poison that you've been, you've taken in that is part of your life that you have no capacity to heal yourself from. I am going to free you from that. So you have to understand that you've been poisoned by sin to know that you should look to Jesus for salvation. If you think you're getting into heaven because you're a good person, you are misled. Listen, listen. If you're thinking, oh, you don't know me, I guarantee you Nicodemus was better than you. Nicodemus was a better person than you, sinned less than you ever thought of sinning, was more obedient to the law of God than you ever have even considered. Ever. And what did Jesus tell him? You've got to be born again. 
So if Nicodemus needs to be born again, we need to be born again. And then we get into the most famous verse, probably of the New Testament, um, 16. It said, for God so loved the world. So he just told Nicodemus that you've got to be born again. He just made reference to himself being a, a typology of the bronze serpent, that you look and be saved. And now he's saying, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So some people read this and be like, well, okay, everybody's saved and he didn't condemn anyone. The most condemning thing God could have done is never send Jesus. But Jesus loved his children so much that he sent his son to do what we couldn't do so that when we had been bitten by sin, we could look to him and be healed and not just be healed and live in the moment that we could be healed and experience life with eternity with Jesus. See, what Nicodemus needs and what you and I need is not religion, but life. See, church attendance, church membership, church church activity does not get you into heaven. Because if it did, Nicodemus would have got into heaven. He would not be having a conversation with Jesus of saying you've got to be born again. Your attendance here is not saving you. Now, what happens here can save you. The truth that you embrace here can save you, but this doesn't. And again, I love to see you here, and I'm happy that you're here. But our purpose here is to help you live like Jesus is greater, because when Jesus is greater, nothing else will overcome you. He that lives in us is greater than he that lives in the world. See, the point of referring to the new birth is that Birth begins a new life into the world. In one sense, of course, Nicodemus is alive. He is breathing, thinking, feeling, acting. He is a human created in God's image. But evidently, Jesus thinks that he's dead. There was no spiritual life in Nicodemus. There was a life of the flesh and he was white. He was doing a good job because he was a ruler. He was put in position of power. People thought well of him, but spiritually he was unborn. He needs life, not more religious activity, more or more religious zeal. He has plenty of that. Nicodemus did finally get it. He defended Jesus during the trial and is one of the men who claimed his body. So Jesus stood, I mean, Nicodemus stood up during the trial and was like, we shouldn't do this. And then after he was Dead, he was one of the people that acquired his body to go put it in the tomb. So the question for you this morning is, have you been born of the Spirit? Not, I, I want to like, I almost don't like the word born again because we, we've, we've, we've re-identified it to like church attendance. We've re-identified it as checking a box. Like, yes, I'm a Christian. 
Being born again means that we have new life by a spirit that we didn't have before. It means that God is working in us and through us. And this doesn't mean, hear me, hear me. Because sometimes, I already what I'm saying, I know there's a, some condemnation that's resting on people going, I've not done a good enough job, I've not, I've not been this, I, I'm failing here. Romans 8, 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're His child, you're His child. But allow His adoption to change you. See, our problem is, is we lived our old life so long, it is hard not to try to live that same type of life. It is difficult to learn to live anew. Romans 10, verse 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. If there's any doubt in you, the best thing that you can do is say the words. And we're words, there's no magical words that like, if I say the right combo, God has to take me. It is the words, but at the root of the words is belief in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that lived, that poured out his wrath on Jesus that we were owed and deserved. And our salvation comes from there. Titus 3 Verse 5 through 7. This is probably something you need to kind of keep written down somewhere and go over and hear over and over again. Verse 5, it says, He saves us not by not because of our works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. It is a work of what He does in us, whom He poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. See, as we rest here, I'm going to invite our, our worship team. Um, we're going to go into communion here in just a second. Everybody has been born of water because you were born. If you're in this room, you were born of water. It's our, our first birth. There's no guarantee you just being in this room says that you've been born anew. If that's something that you desire, something that you're pursuing, then have a heart-to-heart conversation. Jesus has proven His love for us over and over and over again. By how He loved, how He lived, how He died, and how He rose from the dead. See, another thing that you need like that'll just strengthen who you are is this apologetics of understanding the cross. The cross is critical. If we don't have the cross, 
or the belief in Jesus dying for our sin, then we have nothing. All of this is pointless. We are not a principle-driven ministry that lives off of principles. We're a spirit-driven ministry that lives through and in the life of Jesus. And if you don't have that life, here's the only thing that you've got to do. Confess and believe. Do you, do you need it? Like, I almost wish there were snakes not to scare you to the cross, but like if you got bit, saw yourself getting bit, you're not going to go, man, we'll see how this goes. See, if, 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 if God would let us see the damage of that bit, that venom of sin that's in our lives, I think we would be more aggressive in our pursuit of Him. But many of us sitting in this room, many of the people we encounter, we feel like, oh, it's not that big a deal. Sin will always be killing you. It will always be damaging your relationships. It will always be consuming you. And it will never be satisfied. And the first step in and out of that is the Holy Spirit. And saying, I, I believe that Ezekiel... God, remove this heart of stone, put a heart of flesh in there so that I can obey, but also give me the Holy Spirit. If you're trying to live life without the Holy Spirit being reliant on Him, you're going to fail. And I'm not saying that if you live with the Spirit, everything's going to be perfect and everything's going to be good and you'll never make mistakes. I wrote this statement at the end that says, says, remember that every baby has to grow. So when we're reborn, um, we start over, we're, we're being born in Him, we have to grow. But there is mercy in that growth. Like, I, I did not demand my children at six months old to do the dishes, to, you know, run around the house. My kids were slow at walking because people would carry them. They're like... <laughs> You know, but there's gray, even when they start doing the things that you want them to do, expect them to do, walk and talk, like you will, you're excited about them falling on their face, not because they're falling on their face, but because they're trying. We need to have, you need to have the same grace and mercy. God looks at you the same way. If you're an infant in Him, He will sustain you. He will look at you with loving graces, good. And that's my kid. That's man. That first step. Like, how many people would be proud of you right now if you're like, look at me? No one's praising me for walking right now. But when you're a child and you're growing in that grace, every step God is cheering you on. See, this morning, um, we're going to take communion. And if you've not taken communion with us before, we have COVID brought us these nice little cups. No one else touches your stuff, so everything's in here contained. Uh, there's two layers. The first layer will give you this great wafer. It's, it's like, it's great. I'm, I'm, it does have gluten in it, so if you are gluten-free, make sure you get the other one. And then the juice. But here, here's what this is. These, these are just things... A company makes them, mails them to us. We have them in your hand right now. But these aren't those things. 
See, Jesus, on the night before he was betrayed, he told his disciples. He broke the bread. He said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he passed the wine and the juice around. He said, this is my blood that's poured out in this new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. Look, this is the good. This is the greatest cap end of this sermon. Because if you do this correctly, you get everything I just said. If you do this correctly, you're acknowledging as you're taking these things, it is not me. Like I did not have some amazing thing that I did because then you would be in these containers. You're not. He is. This is his blood shed for you. This is his body broken for you. And so what I encourage you to do, I'm going to pray here in just a second. What I encourage you to do is, and don't rush into this. One of the reasons why we do this once a month instead of every week is because I grew up in a church, not that we did it every week, but I didn't think anything of it. We're like, oh yeah, here's that part that we do A, B, and C. It's take a minute. We have a whole song coming right now. Take your time. And when you're ready, Paul literally says to, to weigh your heart, to... You know, if there's things that are going on, if you know that there's some sin in your life, just confess it. And the beauty of that confession is the moment afterwards you can be like, God is good. God is good. And this is why God is good. God loves me. He hates the sin in me because He loves me. And so just acknowledge, say, God, without you I cannot, with you I can uh, this this could be if, to, if today, this morning is your day of saying yes to Jesus, getting that second baptism, that born again into the spirit. This could be it. This could be your first communion where you are his. You're acknowledging him. And literally these things is your acknowledgement. You're like, I could not. I have sinned. Every one of us has fallen short of the glory of God. But He came and lived the life that we could not perfectly and willingly went to the cross and died for us. Acknowledge that this morning and be renewed. Let this be a washing of the Holy Spirit to us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we close this service, as we, we talk about this reality of, of wanting to be known by You, to know You, to be led by You, and to be made new. I know there's people in this room that would give anything to be refreshed in You, to be renewed in You, to be a new creation today. The old has passed away. The new has come. Lord, I pray that You would allow us to believe that that is still a possibility. And Lord, for those in this room that maybe have been around you, but they've never followed you. They're, they're the Nicodemus. They, they know things about God, but they've never met the real God. I pray that today we would hear your invitation and we would receive it. And Lord, I pray that today you would begin in us afresh. Lord, there's people in this room that they're your children, but they're so heavy and burdened. Lord, I pray as we take communion, Lord, you would, you would remind us of your words to us in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you 
rest. Take my yoke upon you. Lord, we lay down the yoke of the world, our yoke of the flesh that we've put on ours, the yoke that parents and other people have laid on us that aren't ours and we put yours on. You're, You're tender and loving. Let us be led by You. So Lord, thank You for this moment that we have with communion. Thank You for this moment where we remember Your work. Thank You for Your grace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today on the Reach Community Church Podcast. We'd love to have you join us next Sunday. You can learn more about our mission at reachcommunitychurch.com.